Father, we're asking for your work in our hearts here this morning. We're asking that you would give us the strength and the courage and the wisdom to strip down all of the things that are fighting for our attention right now, to set them aside, our families and our health and our finances and our relationships and our work and our stresses and our burdens and our cares and our concerns. Help us to lay those at your feet this morning as Peter challenges us to cast all of our cares on you because you care for us. In that same passage, he also encourages us to be careful, to be watchful, to be vigilant because our adversary is roaming around trying to devour us, trying to distract us, trying to tear us away from what it is that can heal our broken hearts. So this morning we pray for the fullness of your spirit, for his working in our hearts and lives, for his interpretation of your word so that we can understand it. It is your word, and he is the key that unlocks it for our hearts, and that's what we're praying this morning, that you would do that for us, that we may hear your voice today in Christ's name. Thank you, folks. You can have a seat. Well, some of you that are here this morning know me well enough to know a little bit about my family, but some of you don't, so I'll fill you in a little bit. You'll see why this is relevant in a moment, but I have two brothers I have a brother named Doug who is a year younger than I am, and I have a brother named Danny who is 10 years younger than I am. And uh, I love my brothers very much, and I would do anything for them. Of course, we're all adults now, and we all have families. But as those of you who are here this morning who have brothers can attest, the brotherly dynamic is very interesting, isn't it? No, nobody else has an interesting brotherly dynamic. Joellen, you have brothers. Joellen knows exactly what I'm talking about. She has two brothers too. She knows exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, And I'm really, I'm presuming when I say this, I'm presuming that it's relatively the same with sisters. Now I know sisters can be, Melody has four sisters and I know that has its own interesting things that go along with it, but... I'm talking about sibling dynamics here. Now, my brother Doug was a year younger than I am. When we were growing up until I was 12 and he was 11, we lived on a kind of a side road out of town. There weren't a lot of other kids around that were our age to play with. And so we grew up, as maybe some of you did, we we grew up like best friends. We were just together all the time. We played together all the time. I can still picture a little corner of our uh, dining room where we always had our Legos set up, and sometimes we were playing with our matchboxes and our Hot Wheels cars and other things in different places. And outside we had forts and tree houses and and all of those kinds of things. And and we just spent all this time together, and we enjoyed playing together, and we were each other's best friends. And then I can also remember a time when Doug was doing something, he was playing by himself, and I wanted him to play with me, and he wouldn't do that, and so I started throwing rocks at him. I'm not exaggerating or making this sound worse than it is, so to make you laugh, I started throwing rocks at him. And as you might imagine, he was not really 
enamored with the idea of me throwing rocks at him. I actually was trying to throw rocks close to him to annoy him. I wasn't trying to hit him. But of course, at one point, I did hit him. And like the little baby that he was, he went (laughs) running to my father who was mowing the lawn. We were probably about, I was probably 10. He was nine. Running to my father, crying, complaining. My father came over and sternly warned me that any further situation similar to this one would result in my immediate painful reminder that this was not appropriate behavior. So he went back to playing, and I, of course, immediately resumed my throwing rocks near him. Of course, two or three rocks later, I hit him again, once again, showed his immaturity by running to my father, telling him what I had done. My father sternly reminded me in a way that you might understand and imagine that this was not appropriate, and sent me to my room. I remember as plain as day, laying on the top bunk. We shared a room. We lived three feet apart, so that, you know, led to some of these disagreements. I remember laying on my top bunk, looking out the window, seeing my father and my brother on the front lawn playing catch. Oh, that burned me so bad. (laughs) I was the one that liked to play catch. Doug hated playing catch, but they were playing catch on the front lawn. Of course, you know, two hours later, we were playing again like best friends. Uh, we grew up, we got older, we were teenagers, and, and uh, I don't remember what the issue was, but I remember we were standing in the doorway of his room, and I was telling him something, and he was telling me something else. I honestly wish I could remember the details because I'm sure they were absolutely ridiculous, but anyway... Uh, I had enough of what he was saying, and so I, standing right there, as far away as I am from Glenn, I just picked my fist up, and I popped him right between the eyes and broke his glasses right in half. (laughs) Keep in mind, I do love this guy. I did then. I do now. All of you guys with brothers and sisters, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, That's the brotherly dynamic, right? Uh, My younger brother, Danny, 10 years younger, so that was a totally different kind of relationship. From the time he was two years old, he was kind of glued to my leg and with me all the time, and we did everything together. And at five years old, I had him shooting college distance three-pointers in a gym with a full-size basketball. I mean, we had... He's way better basketball player than I am. I take a little bit of pleasure in that and a little bit of selfish uh, envy in that as well. Uh, But there were times, too, when he would drive me crazy. But I loved him. That's the sibling dynamic, right? That's every one of us that has brothers and or sisters can probably tell stories kind of like that. But these close relationships are so important because here's what happens. We grow up. And we start living life, we get married or we have kids or we experience death or illness or divorce or money crises and knowing that there's someone there who cares about us is so important and who knows us very well. Of course, not all sibling relationships are healthy. Some of you may have that kind of story where the fighting was constant or the jealousy was bitter And it resulted in hurtful things happening or even abuse. Now there's a point to all this and it's this that I'm at right now. 
The same is true in the church. The church, like natural families, is built on relationships. And the vast majority of these relationships are good, but some of them are not. And the vast majority of these relationships function well most of the time, but sometimes they don't. And I'm sure there's always been a time in your life when you've said, well, my goodness, why, why do I get along so good with my friends, so well with my friends, and I have such a hard time with my family? Have you ever said that? Raise your hand if you've ever even thought that. It's okay. There's all kinds of people here who feel the same way. Why, why do I get so, along so well with my friends, but my family just drives me nuts? You know why? I know why. Maybe you do too. You know why? Because you choose your friends, you don't choose your family. You choose your friends. You get to know somebody at school. You start hanging out with somebody in the neighborhood or a neighbor or whatever, and they start driving you nuts. What do you do? I just don't hang out with them anymore. But your family, you can't help it because they're right there. Maybe you're just like me and my brother. I mean, man, until I was 12, the kid was never more than three feet away from me. It was right on the bottom bunk. I don't have any choice. Same is true with many of the relationships in our churches. We don't don't choose who comes to this church. We all come here together, and we have to learn to relate to each other. We have to learn to spend time with each other, to help each other, to care for each other, to care about each other. You have to think about how we strengthen these relationships because even the good ones have bumpy stretches how we respond to each other. And Paul is writing this letter. If you've been with us this summer, we've been going through 1 Thessalonians. This is it. We're at the end today of 1 Thessalonians. And Paul wrote this letter because he loved them and he was concerned about them continuing to grow and to progress in their faith. And we spent all these weeks talking about it, Tim and I and Tom, because we're concerned about your growth and your faith and your progression in all of these relationships. And as he closes this little letter, this is what Paul wants us to know. He wants us to know that healthy churches maintain healthy relationships. Okay? Healthy churches maintain healthy relationships. Now, I want you to understand that you can't have one without the other. You can't say, oh, yeah, we have a great church. A bunch of the people in there drive me nuts, but we have a great church. I don't get along with these people, but it's a great... No, our church won't be healthy if our relationships aren't healthy. Because that is our church. Our church is these relationships together. Now let's see what God has to say in his word this morning as we read the last four verses of 1 Thessalonians. It's chapter 5, verse 25. Paul says this. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And that's the end. Now here's what I immediately notice when I read these verses, and maybe you did too as I read them for you, and you watch them in your Bibles or on, the, on your phones or on the screen or wherever you were looking, I want you to notice that Paul uses the word brother 
in three straight verses. Three little teeny short verses, each one just one phrase. He uses the word brother three times. Now the word brother is used 346 times in the New Testament. Paul uses the, the word brother 19 times in 1 Thessalonians. 19 times in this little tiny book. Can I give you a little pointer here when you're reading God's Word, you're trying to understand it, you're trying to figure out what it is that that God is trying to say to you through His Holy Spirit? Look for things that are repeated. Look for things that are repeated. Brothers, brothers, brothers. And what He is telling us is how do we maintain healthy relationships in the church? Or rather, that's the question He's asking us. How do we maintain healthy relationships in the church? Three things that he tells us here in these verses. Here's number one, pray for each other. we got to pray for each other. Now, a couple of times, Paul has assured them of his prayers for them. Paul has said, I'm praying for you. Do you remember that? How many people remember all the way back to 1 Thessalonians 1? Don't raise your hand. I don't want to be discouraged because i got things to do here this morning. Okay? Paul says, I'm praying for you. I'm so thankful for your faith, and I'm praying that it keeps going. Remember that? Don't nod your head. Now, he's asking them to pray for him. Okay? He said, I'm praying for you guys. Now he's saying, I want you guys to pray for me. Brothers and sisters, pray for each other. It's not one-sided. I pray for you, and you pray for me. That's how it works in a healthy relationship in the church. I pray for you, and you pray for me. Now, we all know what it means to pray and pray for each other, right? Or do we? The word that Paul uses here for prayer is, is and my pronunciation is going to be terrible because I don't speak Greek, but it's pros et humai. And the word pros, the prefix pros means toward, to go toward, or it even carries with the idea of exchanging, and the last half of the verse means wishes. And the picture here is this. The picture is that we go To God, we go toward God with our wishes for each other. We do that in faith, bringing these wishes and these desires. I think it's very interesting. I don't want to make too much of it here this morning, but it's very interesting that this prefix also carries with it the idea of exchange because here's what I think has to happen sometimes. We come to God in faith and we pray. We go toward God. We come toward Him with our wishes, and sometimes we have to exchange them. You know why? Because sometimes we come to God with our wishes, and they're not His wishes. And sometimes we have to come to God and we have to lay our wishes down and we have to pick His wishes up because what He wishes for us is not always exactly what we wish for ourselves, is it? Brothers and sisters, pray for each other. Come toward God with our wishes and His wishes. Now, how does this help us maintain healthy relationships in the church? Well... Let me just say it this way, because sometimes, remember what we said before, sometimes those relationships are a little bumpy, they're a little rough, 
We're not maybe getting along with another person the way that we should. It's really difficult. It's really difficult to hate somebody that you're sincerely praying for. Now, you might be able to grit your teeth and pray for somebody that you don't like or that you're not getting along with or you're not having best wishes for, but you can't pray sincerely for somebody that you hate. Sincerely praying God's will for them. And I want to challenge you this morning, if there is someone in the body, someone in the family that you are struggling with, I want to challenge you to truly pray for them this morning. To truly, sincerely ask God to soften your heart, to give you His heart for them. Because guess what? God loves that person just as much as He loves you. And to sincerely come before God and ask His wishes for them. Brothers and sisters, we pray for each other. Here's number two. You see it in that next verse. We kiss each other. Now, I'm not so sure about this one. Now, it's one thing to pray for each other, but Paul says we ought to kiss each other. Let me give you a little cultural lesson here. In this culture, it was common If you met a superior, a ruler, or someone like that, that you would kiss that person. This is going to sound really weird, but that you would kiss that person on the foot. That you would kiss them on the foot in this culture. That you would get down on your hands. I know nobody's going to be able to see me, but that you would get down on your hands and knees and that you would bend down and kiss that person on the foot. As a way of showing your subservience, your service to them. Now, occasionally you would kiss uh, a superior on the hand. Sometimes, in some ways, even, you would kiss them on the elbow. But it was a way of showing that you were at their service, that you were subservient to them and that they were over you. But in the same culture at the very same time, you would kiss a friend on the cheek. Okay, now see the difference. Someone who is my, who is my superior, I get down on my face and I kiss that person on the foot. But to someone who is my brother, who is my friend, I kiss them on the cheek, face to face, eye to eye. That was the culture. Now some cultures still do that. By the 13th century, it was abandoned in the church, really. We don't do that anymore. Um, I don't know what you do. It's probably different for ladies, but for guys, when I see the guys that are in my group, you know, we do, the, we do a bro hug, right? Where, you know, you shake hands or you, you know, whatever. Justin, come on up here. Let's, let's, let's show everybody what it means to bro hug. I didn't warn Justin, so, you know, we, we see each other, we're like, Dude, I mean, that's, right? That's what we do. That's how we greet each other. So what is Paul talking about? We pray for each other. Okay, we get that. But we kiss each other? Well, 
It's interesting to note that he says, greet, greet your brothers with a holy kiss. The word greet there means to welcome. And the implication is that you are genuinely glad to see that person. When I'm walking down, I see Justin. I'm genuinely glad to see him. I mean, he's a good-looking young fella. He is always happy. He's ready to go. If you need help, he's your man. Right? I'm happy to see him. And that's what he's talking about here. It means to wish someone well. It means to wish them the best. It means that we treat each other as equals. We're not bowing in deference and kissing anybody's feet. saying we are equals and we care about each other equally and we love each other and there is genuine affection for each other. I know that I'm giving you the complete wrong picture of my relationship with my brother Doug, but there was another instance. (laughs) I was about 17, so that would have made him about 16 and we were sitting at the supper table, and we were arguing. We were just arguing all through supper. And it was driving my mom crazy. It was driving my dad crazy. My little brother was, you know, just whatever, doing his own thing. And supper was over, and we stood up, and we were standing by the table, and I was trying to impose my will on him. And if you knew my brother Doug, like Tim knows my brother Doug, if you knew my brother Doug, he's not, uh, he's not an in-your-face kind of guy. He's kind of quiet and he's kind of retiring. And I just was trying to force my will on him by the strength of my personality. And he would not, you know, whatever, he decided to dig in and not give And I was so frustrated with him that I was not getting my way that I put my hands on his chest and I shoved him. And he went back. We had a little, you know, mudroom on the front of our house. And so the actual door that locked was in the kitchen. And I shoved him back and he went back and his shoulders hit the window in that door and busted the glass right out of the window. Also not one of my finer moments, I not only paid for the glass, but my father stood there and showed me how to take the old glass out and put the new glass in, along with various other things that I had to comply with over the next week or two to pay for my actions. But the problem was, I was more concerned about what I thought than what he thought. That was the problem. And that's what happens when we don't kiss each other. That's what happens when we don't show genuine affection to each other, to genuinely wish each other well, to genuinely desire the best for each other, to genuinely look at the other person and say, that person is my equal. They're my brother. They're my sister. They're not somebody that's here to to care for me or to serve me. We're equals. And we serve each other as equals in the family, and I want what is best for you because you're my brother, you're my sister. 
Well, we pray for each other, we kiss each other, we challenge each other. Verse 27, what does Paul say? I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. By challenge, I mean to push. I mean to encourage. Brothers, do that. Okay, Doug and I are a year apart, so we just we grew up as very, very close like that. Uh, Tim was my brother's best friend at that point in our lives as we were teenagers, and he's the same age as my brother. Then we had another friend that was a year older than us, Ronnie, and the four of us, we just kind of were together all the time. We hung out together all the time, and in the summertime, we rode our bikes, and there was a summer that we were 13 or 14, and, and somebody had, I don't know, dug something near Tim's house, a ditch or a hole or something, and there was a pile of dirt sitting there. And somebody, probably Ronnie, because he was the most crazy, you know, out there, adventurous one of us, said, I think we should make a jump for our bikes on this pile of dirt. I know Tim remembers it. I mean, it was a significant moment in our lives. And so we made this little jump. And so, you know, Ronnie, he had dirt bikes and he raced dirt bikes. And Tim is a lot more adventurous than me, too. And so, you know, Ronnie pedaled and flew over the jump. And then Tim decided he would fly over the jump. And I'm just kind of standing there thinking, I'm not sure this is a good idea. I don't know if I want to do this. And I remember Ronnie and Tim sitting there and saying, come on, do it. You got to do it. And this is not to do it like, you know, don't do this at home, kids. Like, I'm telling you the story, but you should never do it. I mean, it wasn't like we were going to die or anything. It was just a little dirt ramp for our bikes. And I did not want to, I'm serious, I did not want to do it. I didn't think I could do it. I didn't want to look like an idiot. But they kept saying, come on, you can do it. Just try it. You can do it. And I did pedaled up, went up over that jump. I wasn't going as fast as I probably should have, so it wasn't very spectacular. And I learned actually that pedaling harder was probably better than only half pedaling. So I went up over and I said, oh, that was kind of fun. (laughs) So I went back and I did it again. I pedaled harder and I went back in it. And I don't know, we did that for like three days. That's like all we did for three days was drive in circles and go over that jump one after the other, after the other, after the other, until somebody came and filled in the hole and wrecked our ramp. I never would have done that. It's, one, it's just seared in my brain. I hardly remember anything about my childhood except these horrible <laughs> things that I did to my brother and this jump. But it's seared into my brain, and I never would have done it if they hadn't challenged me to do it. And that's what brothers and sisters do challenge each other. Come on, you can do it. You can do it. Paul says, I put you under oath to have this letter read to all the brothers. The word read there means, it means to read again. There's a prefix there that intensifies the command. Do it. Read it. Read it again. Get to know it. Know it better. And we know this is important. How do we know it's important? Well, look what he says. I put you under oath to have this letter read before the Lord. I want you to make an oath that you're going to do it. (sighs) 
God doesn't say that we shouldn't make oaths or covenants. He says that when we do them, we ought to take them seriously. This is how, this is how seriously that Paul is taking this aspect of brotherly concern. I want you to take an oath that you're going to do it. Promise me. Give me your word that you're going to do it. That's why in our small groups we have covenants. That's why we do partnership with covenants. Why? Because we're saying we've got to do it. Promise to do it. Promise to encourage each other to do it. Over in 1 Timothy 4, Paul says this to Timothy, who is a pastor. He says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Timothy, promise me that this is what you're going to concentrate on. What? Challenging your brothers. Are you maintaining healthy relationships with your brothers and sisters and the family of God? Are you? What are you doing to encourage those relationships to grow? Like every area of life, you can get totally self-focused. I know that because I can too. But God calls us to do the opposite, to care for those around us, to pray for our brothers and sisters, to show genuine affection for our brothers and sisters, to challenge our brothers and sisters to grow. And that can be pretty tough. It can be pretty tough because sometimes, like our natural-born brothers and sisters, they can really irritate us. So how do we do this? How does Paul end this incredible book? Verse 28, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now listen, that could be just a throwaway line for you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Grace be to you. But it's not. It's actually everything. God's grace, His kindness, His blessing, His favor. You know what it means? It actually means the word charis. The Greek word means that God has inclined Himself to you. He leans into you. He comes toward you. Tell me this now, my friends. What is the first thing you do when someone irritates you, when someone does you wrong, when someone rubs you the wrong way, when someone frustrates you, when someone starts driving you crazy, whether it's your brother or your sister or your husband or your wife or your kids or your friends or whoever it is, what is the first thing that you do when that happens? You go like this, right? You step back. I don't want to be close to that person because they drive me crazy. They wronged me. They did what they should not have done. They hurt me. You know what grace is? Grace is God doing the opposite. We hurt him, and you know what God did? You know what he did? He did this. He got closer. And that's what God's calling us to do, to incline ourselves toward each other. The grace of Jesus Christ is what makes our salvation possible. And it's what binds us together. Listen to Philippians 2, verse 1 through 4. Paul says it here this way, If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. 
do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Listen to verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's being brotherly and sisterly. Grace makes our salvation possible, and grace binds us together. And I want you to notice this too. Grace is what we celebrate at communion. Because right after Paul says that, look at what he says. The very next verse. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friends, we need to give thanks for Christ's grace and salvation. And we need to incline our hearts toward Him as the days approach when He returns. And that's what we celebrate at communion. Let's celebrate that together this morning. Let's give thanks for the death of Jesus Christ, and let's look forward to the day that he returns. That's what he asks. Now, if we were to take time to read the passage in, in 1 Corinthians about communion, it's interesting to note there that Paul also takes a moment, and do you know what he says? He says, before you take communion... Make sure there's not something between you and you-know-who, right? Your brother or your sister. We have to maintain these healthy relationships. I want us to pause for a moment. We're going to pray. I'm going to ask that you commune with God individually on your own for a moment. Ask for God's strengthening and cleansing and forgiveness if you need it. And ask God to encourage your heart this morning as you lean into your brothers and sisters and care for them and love them the way he commands us. Folks are going to come, they're going to pass out the bread, then they're going to pass out the cup. As the band plays for us, I encourage you when you're ready to go ahead and eat the bread and drink the cup. If you don't want to participate in communion this morning, that's perfectly fine. Just pass it along to the next person. Let's bow our heads in prayer, please. Father, it is your goodness that allows us to be together. It is your grace. Thank you for inclining yourself toward us when we were sinful, selfish, prideful, arrogant, impatient. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ to provide our salvation. We give thanks this morning. The cup and the bread as symbols of his body and his blood that were shed for us, that were given as a sacrifice. We are grateful, and we look forward to the day when Christ returns and we will see him face to face. In the meantime, give us strength and courage. 
and bless our time of commemorating his death and resurrection together. Father, we give thanks this morning for the grace of Jesus Christ that is shed abroad in our hearts, for salvation, and strength for every day. We ask that you would give us courage to do what is right, to care for each other, to love each other, to maintain these healthy relationships so that we can accomplish this mission that you have set before us of sharing the gospel and your love with those that are around us in this community. Thank you for our time together, Lord, and I pray that you continue to challenge us as we walk these days to be the people you have called us to be. In Christ's name, amen. Folks, have a great week.